You've seen those movies where they say, make my day, or I'm your worst nightmare. Well, listen to this one. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Ha! You didn't know I'm gonna say that, did you? Your move, creep. everybody and welcome to another episode of the film feast podcast i am your host matt bledsoe and this week we're talking about some classic film noirs and some 2000s action movies that may sound like a weird combo but i'll explain all that in a minute um but first let me introduce my guest he is the host of the cobwebs podcast he's got his own youtube channel and he's one of my favorite people to talk movies with it's daniel epler daniel how you doing Hey, Matt, I'm doing good. I'm nice and warmed up after we talk for a half hour before we hit record. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we hadn't talked for a while as we talked about. So I had to uh, I had to catch up with you a little bit, just talk about some random stuff. So, um, yeah, we're pretty well warmed up. Now. <laughs> <laughs> and well caffeinated. I got my coffee right here because we're doing an, an early morning recording, which I love. Huge fan of these. Yes, these have become like my new favorite thing, uh, like early Saturday afternoon or late morning, like recording, I feel so awake for the first like so <laughs> so fresh uh i don't even need coffee i got a good night's sleep i'm like i'm we talked for half an hour i'm ready to go <laughs> so absolutely man so yeah i mean uh so i guess i just told people this is a episode on film noirs and 2000s action movies which sounds like a mix that may sound like tuna fish and peanut butter but i think it really <laughs> will be like peanut butter and jelly because uh i think this came up because we were talking about want to do something together and it was basically the idea was to try to help fill in the other person's kind of blind spots for genres so uh i've wanted to watch way more film noir so you gave me like three classic film noirs to watch and i don't know what <laughs> you're you're a pretty well-rounded movie watcher so somehow we got to 2000s action movies very specific uh which i feel like is in my wheelhouse and i was like i'll give you three 2000s action movies um I think that's how it came about. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> no, pretty much. Yeah. And and this was perfect, like 2000s action movies, because I especially once you said it, I started to think about it. And I thought, man, I'm really, really low on this genre. Because in the 2000s, you know, I was a kid slash early teenager. Uh, no, for most of my teenage years, really. And um, that was very dominated by superhero movies for me, like throughout like junior high school, high school. Like I was very, very much into superhero movies. And at least in my head, 2000s action movies are dominated by the Bourne movies, which I don't really oh, like. Yeah, and I'm I with don't. You. Yeah, <laughs> well, I like the Bourne identity fine, actually. I like it just fine. Um, but for me, there are two things about the Bourne movies that influenced action movies at that time that I don't like. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them is shaky cam action, with, but to a greater extent, the other one is control room sequences. Do you know what I mean when I say <laughs> oh, this? Oh, I know what you mean. <laughs> I, I really hate thought these. About that was their fault. <laughs> but it's cutting back to people in a room and the camera swishing around like, get me eyes on Bourne. Like, get me a chopper in the sky. Like, I would just be yelling at people and watching screens. And it's like, I hadn't really thought they had about them influencing that, but you're 100% right, actually. 
Yeah, like Live Free or Die Hard is really bad about that. Ooh, yeah. You know, and that's like a 2000s action movie that I really don't like. So so I love action movies from the 80s and the 90s. Like I've been watching those since an early age. I think it was when I turned about 12 years old, my dad just started showing me like every Schwarzenegger, every Van Damme, every Stallone. And like, I love those memories. But as far as like new movies, and at that time in my life, like these were new movies, um, I was watching superhero movies and like the occasional horror movie like Insidious. So I wasn't watching uh, 2000s action movies. So I'm glad that you forced me to catch up on some. That's good. Yeah, it's, I was looking through a list of like 2000s action movies and it's it was a weird time. <laughs> and I feel like you're right. The superhero movie, though, kind of came in and kind of kind of starting around like Dark Knight, Iron Man, 2008. So I feel like they kind of pushed out like kind of mid-level uh you know action movies straight up and because it's weird because i superhero movies i think would technically be action movies but i never think of them as action movies if that makes any sense they're superhero movies they're like a separate thing uh but they've kind of dominated the market and i feel like smaller like especially one we'll talk about a movie i can't even imagine uh probably getting made um now and it was 2006 and i was like oh this made to theaters and had stars and um there's except like John Wick's an exception of the rule, but it's like, you know, mostly I feel like action is kind of been reduced to like streaming or DTV. It's, it's a weird time for action movies post 2008. <laughs> yeah. Uh, our, our friends, Michael Scott and Robin Tequera had a conversation about this on a recent episode where they're talking about Ninja two, where I, I, I think, you know, I'm sorry if I'm, I'm paraphrasing anybody incorrectly, but Rob's basically like, you know, why isn't Scott Atkins like a big star? Mm -hmm. And Mike said, well, they don't really make, movies for him anymore like they don't make the kind of movies that he would shine in uh except on like direct-to-video and stuff like that but like otherwise i think uh, i think exactly what mike said is like otherwise scott atkins would be um the leading man role in godzilla versus kong and like i don't really want that for him that's a pretty boring <laughs> role yeah yeah that's true <laughs> but yeah it's it is interesting there was that whole time 80s into early 90s where you had guys who were headlining movies they were action stars. We don't really have, I know this came up on like F this movie too recently because they do like the action, heavy action all-stars. But I feel like that's so rare to just be like an action guy and be a big celebrity, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, one of these movies that, that I watched for this is starring Jet Li and, and it's a movie with like, seems to have a budget and has like <laughs> a really, really strong supporting cast of a bunch of big actors that I recognize. And I'm like, man, this Jet Li movie would absolutely not get made today. It would have like, it would be direct to video. It would have a lower budget. It would not have Delroy Lindo and Carlo <laughs> Gugino. Like none of these people would be in this movie. Um, so it's very much a product of its time. Oh yeah. And for the soundtrack. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh yeah. We'll get uh, into the soundtrack. We'll get sure. into the soundtrack. <laughs> uh, I just, it's, it really puts it right at the time. It's like, like oh, right. This is 2001. Okay, great. Uh, but we'll, we'll get there. Uh, so yeah, this was a fun exercise. Um, I don't want to play my hand at what I thought about your movies, but I had a lot of fun watching these. And I'm there are three movies that funny enough, and you didn't know this, but there were three movies that were they were literally on my watch list. Like I had I checked them off and were like, okay, I watched this, I watched this. So this was great for me because I got to watch three classics and knock them off my list. And yeah, I feel better for it. <laughs> Good. I'm glad because I how I went about these picks is like I went about it pretty unselfishly. And what I mean by that is. I didn't pick my personal top three noirs. One of these would be in my top three. Honestly, mm -hmm. the other two would not. But I do feel like these are the three 
noirs that you should watch if you want to get into the genre. Like, I think like these are the three starter noirs. And I feel like once you've seen these movies, you could pretty much talk to any noir fan and they're going to be like, oh, okay, he's good. He's seen like these big three <laughs> movies. And like after this, you can kind of run off in whatever direction you want. Yeah, I do feel better now that I've seen these. I don't feel like a fraud anymore because I was like, <laughs> I, and it was so weird with film noir because I've been so interested in that genre for so, so long. Like I remember watching um, like Maltese Falcon back when I was a teenager and really liking that. And I always have dug the, like the aesthetic and the whole like, the genre has been parody a lot. I feel like I was thinking back to when I was a kid. And for some reason, <laughs> it feels like every cartoon I watched had like a film noir episode where oh, somebody would. Or stuff yes, like, that. like it was a Batman, you know, like everyone did like either it was a parody or they did like a, their own film noir thing. And they'd always have like someone being a detective and doing voiceover narration and telling a story backwards, you know, and it was all these tropes and like how they talk like, hey, hey, see that dame, you know, it's like all like the the great like oh, the way they talk and everything. And um. So I've always been fascinated with the genre, but it's, I'm bad at this. I'm like a, I always say I'm like a, um, what's the word? Jack of all trades, master of none. Cause I feel like I know so much about so many different genres, but then I don't dive in deep on a lot of them. So I feel like I've read a lot about film noir, know the examples, can name the movies, but haven't seen a lot of them. It's a weird thing. I don't know why I do this, but it's like, so, uh, but I, I've always loved the tropes and the genre and everything about it. But yeah, I haven't seen, a lot of film noir so this was this was great but um um yeah i guess we can just jump into it because we have like six movies to talk about so um i guess you are the guest so i will i will let you start which whichever one of three movies i gave you i'm very curious here about all three of what you thought of these so okay sounds good um so i'll just go in the order that i watched them okay so the first one that i watched is the one from 2001 uh this is a jet lee movie and um i was very excited to watch this movie because I I really, really like Jet Li. So just to give my background with Jet Li, I haven't seen a ton of his movies, but fairly recently I checked out Fist of Legend. Oh my God. And I, I yes. watched it because, <laughs> because Michael Scott recommended it on the Cult Movies podcast and uh, it sounded like fun and I checked it out and I adored Fist of Legend. And I thought it was just a fantastic, fantastic action movie, martial arts action movie for anybody who doesn't know. And um and I love Jet Li in it. I thought he was just so lovable, so charismatic, but an unbelievable martial artist, like insanely fast. Like I thought there were times where I thought he was being sped up, but I like looked into it and it looks like he wasn't. So he's just that good. Yeah. <laughs> so you're a fan of that movie too? I am. I haven't seen it in so long. I rented it from the video store. That's how long it's been. Uh, and I have the DVD on my shelf to rewatch because I just picked up the DVD and I was like, I got to rewatch Mr. Legend, but I have seen it like a couple, like once or twice, like, over 15 years ago now. So it's not quite fresh, but I remember being like blown away by that movie. <laughs> yeah, I was blown away. And the only other Jet Li movie I've seen is uh, Kiss of the Dragon, which was actually the first movie that you gave me yeah. for this challenge. <laughs> but I was like, oh, I've already seen that movie. And I wanted I wanted all three total new discoveries. But uh, I like Kiss of the Dragon just fine. This is certainly no Fist of Legend, but I like it fine. So I watched the one and okay. So in my opinion, the one has a insanely overwritten premise <laughs> but what the premise is is it starts out in an alternate dimension and apparently in this dimension they are well aware that there are a lot of different dimensions and they've even figured out ways to access like all these other dimensions and Jet Li plays a bad guy uh whose name is uh lawless or I think Oh, we're confusing because all these guys have similar names. Uh, yeah. I, I, you law, I believe, because at the end he does that great line where he 
He's like, I am you law. I am nobody's bitch. Like, uh, I was going to bring that line up. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. I'm jumping ahead of you. I apologize. No, no, no. You're totally fine. <laughs> it's a very funny line, especially the way he delivers it. <laughs> but uh, okay. So he's a bad guy and he acts, he goes into uh, all these dimensions in order to kill himself in these other dimensions. Because according to this movie, the more other versions of you that you kill, the stronger you become. So he's kind of a superhero. He has super strength, super speed, and even affects his brain. He has super intelligence. And he goes into one dimension that is very much like our dimension, but it's not exactly our dimension because they make a point that Al Gore won the presidency. So it is not our dimension. <laughs> mm -hmm. And he's trying to kill this version of Jet Li, who is a very much a good guy. Uh, he is a very nice family man, a cop. He is married to Carlo Gugino. And uh, so it's Jet Li versus Jet Li. And uh, on the tail of evil Jet Li is Jason Statham and Delroy Lindo, who are cops in that other dimension, and they're after him. And, and you know, this is kind of what I meant when I said, like, this movie has a fantastic supporting cast. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just incredible to see just Jason Statham as a supporting character. Uh, but I think this is the same year he also made Ghosts of Mars, which is a supporting character, too. So I guess he just... I think Transporter is 2002, so I don't think he was a star yet, right? Yeah, I think that was yeah the next year. He's getting some like, supporting roles, and um, yeah, I'm checking on the Transporter thing. I think you're, I think it is 2002. I think you're right. So, so the one I thought it was okay. Um, <laughs> uh -huh. I was I wasn't crazy about it. One thing I did really enjoy about it is I like how dated it is. Like I've I've kind of reached this point where I am now very charmed by the early 2000s. And I kind of want my early 2000s movies to be as dated as possible. I really came to this conclusion recently when I rewatched uh, The Fast and the Furious and Too mm -hmm. Fast, Too Furious. And they're both so 2000s. And I just thought, <laughs> I just really, really enjoyed that. Um, the premise is really, really silly. And uh, like I said, I think it's overwritten and it's almost sort of like, okay, like I got to catch up with what, like, it's just overly complicated, <laughs> but I thought I kind of respect it. Like I respect the idea that they made a pretty simple action movie, but they came up with this super crazy sci-fi plot. Like that's kind of fun. Um, I really like Jet Li as the villain. He's really fun. Good Jet Li is a really boring character, I thought, and a really boring <laughs> performance. I, you know what? I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I like him. So I think he's very likable. And it's funny because I always think of like someone like Jackie Chan is like the most likable human being on the planet, honestly. But like, and Jet Li, I think got, he got stuck. He, he could, I think he could play a hero or a bad guy very well um, because I think he is pretty likable, but he can get, he has like a meanness to him that I couldn't see like Jackie Chan having or something. So I feel like Jet Li can do both. I hadn't really thought about his, um, it's a good character being boring but uh i mean you might be onto something there <laughs> i don't know just just how i felt maybe it's just because it's a contrasted by the evil Jet Li, and the evil Jet Li performance is pretty fun yeah he has the line i'm nobody's bitch which is pretty funny <laughs> that kind of makes the movie <laughs> like i feel like anyone who brings that up it's like um it's like we're showing a little tokyo we're talking about where it's like everyone talks about you bring them, that, that one line always comes up about like you have the biggest dick I've ever seen on a man. With when I bring up the one, everybody's always like, "Oh yeah, like I'm you, law. I'm nobody's bitch." Like it's like that's the that's the thing people remember. And it's the end of the movie too, which is like, yeah, that's why it sticks too. But um, when they play, I think another Papa Roach song. When you mentioned the soundtrack, it's like, uh, the sound. Okay, I'll I'll get into my feelings about this movie. You don't mind, uh, the because I kind of have this very deep nostalgic love for the one because it just totally reminds me of like 
staying over at friends' houses in 2001 to whenever it was on TV and eating pizza and like, you know, drinking like probably Pepsi Blue or Mountain Dew Code Red or something. <laughs> and like, and just like you're binging like cool action movies. And like the one was played constantly. I don't know what channel it was on, but it was like my friend's house. We go over all the time. And like the one probably was on all the time. So I watched the one so many times around like 2002-ish uh, when it was on TV. And I just really like it. I feel like it, the premise I think is fun. It may be, it, it, you're, it's a little overwritten. You're right, I think. And, uh, but I think it's a really fun, it's, it's kind of a goofy movie if we get down to it. I mean that like in an endearing way that it's kind of a goofy movie. Um, Cause I feel like it kind of, kind of wears that on its sleeve or maybe I'm looking back with nostalgia nostalgia goggles I'm not sure but um the soundtrack is so 2001 like I don't know how old you were in 2001 Daniel but like I'm like uh 14 15 depends on like and and like this is my kind of music a papa roach and like drowning pool <laughs> and like this like you know kind of aggressive um uh not even metal i can't call it metal but like rock and roll and like i'm like yeah papa roach is awesome and they have two papa roach songs in the soundtrack <laughs> um which just makes me laugh and it's just you're it's you're right it's so 2001 like what a freaking time capsule of this time and uh yeah, I mean, I don't know. I really, I still really enjoy it. It flies by for me because I've seen it like who knows how many times. It's under an hour and a half. I'm like, God bless you, movie, for just flying by on your crazy premise and Jet Li doing cool shit. <laughs> like, it does go by pretty quickly. I, I will give you that because when we get to the final battle, but which is Jet Li versus Jet Li, which by the way, I was kind of worried going into that battle because I'm like, well, this isn't going to be a real martial arts fight because they're going to have to use a ton of special effects for Jet Li to fight himself. Uh, but using stunt doubles and stuff, I thought they did a really good job. It's the best action scene in the movie because overall, I don't think the action in this movie is great, but I, I did really like that fight scene. Um, but yeah, by the time we get to that fight scene, I was almost kind of surprised that like, oh, I guess the movie's wrapping up because it, it is a very fast paced movie. Yeah, it's and I, I was uh, this time when I rewatch it, I was kind of surprised or blown away by how well I thought that final Jet Li versus Jet Li fight held up because uh, I thought there was way more CGI used, but no, I think they just used like, yeah, his doubles and uh, it's a pretty good fight. I think it's a pretty good fight. Um, and I was like, oh, this is better than I remembered. So um, yeah, it's, I just think it's like a really fun movie. I feel like it's like Jet Li's like time cop where it's like his high concept sci-fi action movie. <laughs> That's a good comparison, actually, even though I, I like Time Cop a lot more personally, but that is a good comparison. Yeah, fair enough. And this was the one of the three that I gave you that I think I uh, felt was maybe the weakest of the three, even though I personally really, really enjoy it and think it's really fun. Um, I thought, I don't know what else going to play for Daniel in 2021, 20 years. I can't believe it's 20 years old, by the way. That's insane. <laughs> but, um, and like, I was like, this might go well. I was like, he'll have fun with the goofiness or I don't, it might be too dated. I don't know. But, um, cause I wanted to give you kiss the dragon. Like you said, I think kiss the dragon to me is like of his kind of run there from Romeo must die until I guess like cradle to the grave kiss the dragon probably is like the best of those movies. I think my opinion is my favorite movie of his of that time. Um, but you'd already seen that one. So yeah, I was like, I'll go with the one, the one's, wacky i'll just say maybe you'll like this so it's like you liked it okay so that's, i'll take that that's good enough <laughs> i did like it okay and like it was a perfect it was an it was an enjoyable time um yeah i guess that's all i have to say i wish i had something more interesting but yeah an enjoyable time overall and uh i like jet lee he's fun <laughs> yeah jet lee's he's great i love that uh i do i don't know if this was what started it but i know you know jackie chan blew up with rush hour 
and stuff like that. And I feel like Hollywood is always doing this. So like, we got to find the next, the next guy, like we got to find our next Jackie Chan. So I feel like Jet Li got a lot of work, a lot of starring roles around this time, uh, like early 2000s. I'm, I'm happy for it because I like basically all those movies he made. So um, yeah, he's great. He's I, almost underrated in a weird way. I don't know. I feel like he always kind of lived in, I feel like he always kind of was in Jackie Chan's shadow a little bit. And then of course there's other guys who are always more famous. Like you always got Bruce Lee and um, there is just so, but I, I love Jet Li. I think he's, I think he's phenomenal. He's a great, he's like you said, he's so fast. It's insane. <laughs> like how fast he is when he's fighting it's, it's bananas. But um, so yeah, glad we got some Jet Li in there. Cause he kind of, he kind of dominated some early 2000s action. So, <laughs> um, so oh, yeah. One, mm-hmm. one Jet Li movie I've, I've wanting to see, I'm curious about your opinion on it. Have you seen Hero? I feel like I saw Hero in a theater, <laughs> which when I, it was like, oh, was that like 0405? 2002 like, is very next year. Actually. 2002. Wow. Okay. Um, I, do, I feel like I saw it in a theater, but I don't think I've seen it since the theater. Um, okay. I thought it looked good. So I was curious about it because I'm was, definitely interested in checking out more Jet Li. I think it was pretty good. Um, I had to rewatch it. It's been so long. Um, I do remember definitely seeing it though, because I remember the ending specifically I'm thinking about. So yeah, that one's, that one's good. That, that may actually be the best of all his movies, honestly, but I haven't watched it in so long, but um, he was all that. I don't know if you're into these, he was in that weird, like this weird era of mixing martial arts and like hip hop and rap. Like, cause DMX is in a bunch of these movies, Anthony Anderson and like, and it's uh, so it's like cradle of the grave. And oh yeah, isn't Romeo must die a movie like that? Romeo must die is like that. Yeah. Romeo must die cradle of the grave. Um, What's the other one I'm thinking of? Oh, well, Jet, Jet Li's not in it, but it's um, Exit Wounds because <laughs> it still has DMX. And I think Anthony okay. Anderson. Uh, there's this weird, I, I I like it though. It's like a weird mix of things like Hollywood was doing. Like, let's make these like martial arts slash like rap hip hop movies. And uh, yeah, Jet Li's in a couple of those, but I dig that whole 2000s time. <laughs> so that's a fun but, little subgenre. <laughs> it is. It is. It's uh it's very you look back and you're like, how'd that happen? But I don't know. I'm, I'm glad it did. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um so okay. All right. So that was the one. Uh now we have to pivot wildly in the other direction. Well, <laughs> oh, I need a neck brace for all this whip. I know buckle up, people. It's gonna be a lot of back and <laughs> forth, <laughs> whole different eras, like um, crazy. So okay, so you gave me three classic film noirs. I will do mine. Funny enough, I watch these. I was going to tell you mine in the order I watched them, but they're also in chronological order. So it worked out. So um, I will start with uh, Double Indemnity from 1944, directed by the great Billy Wilder, uh, starring Fred McMurray and Barbara Stanwyck. Um, So basically, I feel like (laughs) the funny thing about my movies is I'm like, do people need me to explain these movies to them? Cause they're so, they're so famous, but I, I will, but I just was like, I feel stupid being like, so double indemnity is about blah, blah, blah. Uh, so, no, I mean, these movies are really old. So I'm sure a lot true. of people haven't caught up with them yet. That's true. Like me, like me, hopefully. So Fred McMurray plays an insurance salesman um, who basically lets himself be, he goes, how do I, okay. He goes to sell insurance um, to this rich man uh, runs into this uh, this seductive housewife, Leah Barbara Stanwyck, um, as he's trying to sell her husband insurance, and she kind of draws him into this scheme to basically kill her husband so they can get his insurance policy. And they cook up this scheme together and uh, go through with that. And then most of the movie is like the buildup to their, like their plan to get rid of her husband. And then the aftermath of what happens when they, after they get rid of the husband and how things 
uh, kind of fall apart or kind of, uh, you know, things start to kind of come, come down on them a little bit uh, or they try to keep it together. And it's, uh, I don't know, <laughs> like, I also don't want to say too much. If you're right, people haven't seen it. I don't want to start spoiling things, but um, they, there's just a lot of suspicion amongst them and a lot of tension in the movie because they are, you know, obviously they've done something wrong here and they're on the edge and they're like trying not to, uh, to blow it basically. <laughs> and there's an investigation after his death and they're trying to keep it together. And um, Fred McMurray is, it's funny because he's not exactly what I think of as like a typical um, film noir leading man, except when he does, he does the great, uh, I'm going to tell the name, I'm going to do the narration and tell you the story kind of backwards. We kind of start near the end with him. And he tells you the whole story. Um, but he, Fred McMurray to me seems like he's like, should be a big, lovable teddy bear dad like in the you know like on a sitcom or something well have you seen my three sons i have never seen my three sons so it's that a was... sitcom in the 60s where he's the dad and it's like his it's his biggest success thing which like he's like the perfect dad in that movie well, well there you go yeah see that's what i must be i might be subconsciously thinking of him from that or something but uh but he's really good in this barbara stanwick and him are amazing uh there's i feel like there's good chemistry there um the weird thing is, I was thinking of this when I was watching it, like, there's all these moments, uh, I'll just say, because the husband dies, that's not really a spoiler, like, so Barbara Stanwyck's husband is killed, that's the whole crux of the movie, right after they kill him, there's a scene where they are in the car, and they're about to get away from the scene, and the car won't start, and there's this, like, oh, your heart stops for a second, and I'm like, wait, why am I rooting for these people, <laughs> because they just murdered a man, but it's like that thing in Psycho, when when um and when he dumps the car in the lake and it has that moment where it won't go down for a second and you're like oh like you know Anthony per you you feel for Anthony Perkins so weirdly I'm feeling for uh the two of them and I'm so invested in their story probably because they're such good actors that uh, but I'm like why am I rid of these people they're murderers <laughs> but but uh yeah stuff like that and it's just so tense throughout and I'm like you're just trying to see if they get away with it or not and how this is gonna like unravel um. And I have to mention uh, Edward G. Robinson gives one of like those amazing, like truly great supporting actor um, performances where it's like, hell yes, <laughs> like he understands the assignment to take a Twitter trend. Recently. It's like <laughs> this guy gets it like he he's great, like every scene, but he is still the supporting actor of these two leads over here. So he's Fred McMurray's boss um, and he's so good. I was like, God damn, this guy's so good in this movie. <laughs> like, um, and yeah, he, he kills it. I mean, it's so well made. Like, I just was like, this is, this is like, yeah. I mean, it's funny. Cause I, I feel like I've seen this movie done <laughs> so many times and so many variations, like so many parts of it have been copied and things like that. And yeah, it was, um, it was, it was fantastic. I actually went back and bumped my letterbox rating up a half star. Cause I'm like, I'm like four stars. Is not good enough. It deserves four and a half stars. I'm, like, I'm so on. glad. Cause I saw your four and I was like, what? No, 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 it's fine. I, it's, I wasn't mad, but <laughs> uh, no, I, I went back. I went back last night and I was like, what am I doing? That's a, that's at least a four and a half star movie. And if I watch again, it might be five, but um, I mean, it's no, the one, but sure. Well, no, no, <laughs> I don't remember what I gave the one. I think it was like three or three and a half stars. So at first double indemnity, only slightly better than the one is what I was saying. <laughs> um, no, I went back and I, yeah, I was like, cause I kept thinking about it. I kept thinking about the movie days afterwards. And like, I, it's funny because the plot they come up with to career husband, I think is like a very solid plan. Like it kind of it kind of depends on some some luck in spots, but like 
overall, it's like, it seems pretty foolproof. <laughs> so I'm like, how are they going to start poking holes in this? And like the movie does find ways to like poke holes in it. But at first you're like, it's a pretty solid play. <laughs> and they totally um, would have gotten away with it. If Edward G. Robinson wasn't such a weirdo who cared so much about his job. Right. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. It's like, it's like, he's so like, like a, like a dog. He's like, I got to figure this out. Like, you know, he just is so, like something doesn't feel right here. He's so good at his job that uh, he starts getting him in trouble that way. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty. It's a great movie. I I, um, I feel bad. This is the first one I'm talking about, but I think this is my favorite of the three that you gave me, honestly. But it's so good. It's it's an amazing movie. <laughs> yeah, it's my favorite noir I've ever seen. And and one thing I want to make clear for people is like I am not a noir expert by any means. Um, I'm no Rosalie Lewis. I'm no Aaron <laughs> Penn. Uh, I'm very much just an enthusiast. I really, really enjoy these movies. And I'm like working towards becoming closer to being more like those people that I mentioned. Like I want to really know my shit about noir, but uh, I'm working on it. But um, so far, this is my favorite that I've seen. And, uh, and, and I picked it for you because like, I think it's the classic example of what a noir is. It's certainly not the first noir, but mm -hmm. it's kind of the one that popularize this style like there are examples of noir before double indemnity but this is the one that comes out and it's a huge hit and then a lot of people are like okay we want our double indemnity like we want to make a dark moody movie about murder and femme fatales and blah 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 and then it kind of spiraled and it became this this big part of film history in the 1940s and 50s but this is an example of a noir that is about uh trying to plot a murder and try to get away with murder. And I really, really enjoy this little subgenre of movies. Mm -hmm. And like a good thriller is, you're exactly right. It's so good at getting you to kind of root with murderers. And, <laughs> and like, it's not like yeah. you desperately want them to get away with it or anything. It's more just like, like you're just so interested in the process of plotting and getting away with murder. And, and you just, the movie gets you to empathize with them, even though neither of them are all that, likable like i've seen some noirs where the criminals are really really genuinely likable and the cops almost feel like this horror movie monstrous presence that's like an inevitable it's like it's like death and taxes it's inevitable that the police are going to catch you <laughs> mm -hmm. um and this movie like they're not that likable because barbara stanwyck seems and by the way barbara stanwyck one of my favorite actresses of all time i'm a huge fan of her uh she does seem pretty immediately like a woman to be feared she does seem like right. a seductress <laughs> that is going to lead you down a bad path which the femme fatale is a very classic trope of the noir it's some people say that it's sort of a product of women entering the workforce after world war ii and men starting to develop like a fear of women's power and that mm -hmm. like oh they've just existed to be my mother and then my wife and now suddenly they're starting to enter this equal playing field with me and that's scary. And then like the femme fatale is sort of born 1940s. That's a theory at least. And uh, she's such a great example of that. And Fred McMurray, he's like so sexy in this movie. And this is my first movie that I've seen of him that's not My Three Sons where he's just the dad, but man, he's so cool. Always smoking a cigarette. The dialogue is like razor sharp and super stylized. And um, they have such a really, really thick sexual chemistry yeah um, and that's a lot of the dialogue is pretty explicit like if you just think about it for five seconds you're like oh they're definitely talking about fucking right now but they just can't quite say it because it's 1944 yeah. 
<laughs> oh, there's a good example of that in the next movie I'll bring up where I'm like, holy shit, that was an innuendo. Uh, like, I'm like, how did they get, you know, like anybody with, I think half a brain could get some of these. I'm like, I guess the censors just, if you don't say it explicitly, they're just like, okay, we'll let you have it. Um, I was going to mention that about all these film noirs. I had, I wrote one note down. I said, film noirs are all really, <laughs> two things that you probably wouldn't, or maybe you would think, I don't know, but uh, they're all darker and hornier than I think anybody <laughs> would imagine. And like, yes. I kind of know that about them going in. Like, it's one of those things I know and I've heard for years, but when you watch them in the moment, you're like, oh, wow, these are way darker than you imagine for like 1940s movies. And they're all like, so much hornier than like you'd imagine like so much sexual tension probably because they had to like kind of repress it a little bit like you said they can't explicitly say things so it's like it's like you know they have to hold back a little bit which in a weird way makes it feel more tense <laughs> you know it's just it's weird yeah but i was like yeah these movies are all really horny <laughs> it's wild it's really wild they uh they really are i i feel like both uh the noir and the screwball comedy are both sort of a product of the Hayes code and the like mm -hmm. sexual repression that built up and that like the noir sort of manifests sexuality into something dark and something scary in the form of femme fatale because like it can't be let loose and the screwball comedy sort of turns it into crazy wacky situations and a lot of arguing um mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah so like the Hayes code not a good thing not something i support but it sort of like spawned very interesting things in film history that i really love yeah, no, that's that's true. That's a good point. Um, I did. I, I wish I remember what this was. I watched something pre-code recently. Oh, oh, it was. Uh, um, oh God, the one I talked about with Anthony on the movie swap. Um, oh, it happened one night. It happened one night. That was just before the code, right? Am like, I right about just before? It's like just right before, and that movie point. got away with some stuff. I was like, whoa, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. The walls of Jericho are tumbling <laughs> down. <laughs> I was like, oh, these people just want to have sex. Got it. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> it turns um, out people in the 1930s did want to have sex. <laughs> That's This may sound stupid. I'm kind of talking this idea out loud here, but I'm like, it, it, clearly people were talking about sex, having sex, obviously having sex because they're babysitting porn. But I'm just like, who are we doing this for? The middle of the country who like were repressed <laughs> like pilgrims? Like who, like why are we, I, I don't know. It just seems so weird to me. It's like, it's for conservative politicians, essentially, I, because they told Hollywood, basically, you're either going to censor yourself or we are going to come in and censor you. So Hollywood was like, OK, we'll censor ourselves. Like, please don't get involved, Congress. And that's what happened. <laughs> OK, well, that makes sense. I, I know it's stupid because I feel like people are more conservative overall, but maybe not on the coast or something. But like, it is funny. It's like we all know these things are happening. Like even the you know, the 40s, everyone's like. This is what happens. Normal people talk about, it, but it's like we can't talk about it in the movies. You know, it'd be be too scandalous. I don't know. It's so strange. But I guess I guess some modern day conservatives are still like that about sexuality. So oh, not, yeah. my, my parents are are people like that kind of. So there you go. And it's this. someone who grew up in a house that was like, you can watch all the violence you want, but you're not going to see a boob here. It's like, yep. <laughs> it's like this is a sexless home, but go watch RoboCop. Uh, it's like <laughs> watch RoboCop get shoots people in the dick. That's fine. <laughs> Dicks can be shot, but they can't go into anything. <laughs> Is that too much? You can edit that out if you want. Oh, no, it's going to stay in. <laughs> <laughs> then they're like, if the dick is shot, then it can't be used. So perfect. <laughs> perfect. By the way, one of these movies we're about to talk about has a dick shot within five minutes. But we'll get to that. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. I know what you're talking about. Um, okay. So, <laughs> okay. Double indemnity. I don't know what I'll say. It's a classic. You were, you're 100% right. It's uh, the, the, my favorite of the three. You know, the other two were 
very close. Say that right now. Like, it's not like it was like one was much worse than the others or anything, but double indemnity just kind of rose above, I think, because I kept thinking about it for, for days. And also uh, it might have the clearest plot for me of the other, of the three. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, easily. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which you said not much of a plot. And, I'm getting ahead of myself anyway, but yeah, so double indemnity. It's a classic. Uh, thank you for putting that on my radar. And I finally watched it. So um, that's all I have on that one. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Sounds good. Edward G. Robinson rules. And yep. uh, I guess we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, the next movie I watched is the protector uh, starring Tony Ja. I think this one's from, yeah, 2005. And uh, this is one that I actually had on Blu-ray because a friend of mine gave it to me. Um, so I, I was very happy. So it was basically already on my watch list. So I was happy mm-hmm. to be able to check it out. Uh, it is starring Tony Jaa. My history with Tony Jaa is almost non-existent. I have seen him in Paul W.S. Anderson's Monster Hunter, uh, which I which I enjoyed. And I like yeah. Tony Jaa in it. Um, but I haven't like truly seen a Tony Jaa movie. Ong Bak has been on my list for a while. I still haven't seen Ong Bak, but this movie is from the director. And um, okay, so there's a there's a U.S. cut and an international cut. I watched the international cut because I read that the uh, U.S. cut is almost incomprehensible. Um, are you an international cut person? I was going to ask you about this before we got into this. This is very important because I put the Blu-ray in, and <laughs> I'd only seen this movie, I think, like on TV or uh, an older DVD. I didn't remember making a choice for, honestly. So I was like, Oh shit, there's a choice. <laughs> so, so I'm sitting there like, which cut do I watch? And I looked and I saw the international cuts, like almost two hours. I'm pretty sure. And the U S cut was yeah. like under 90 minutes. Um, and I remember thinking like, I don't remember the cut I watched being almost two hours ever. Like I can't. So I went and watched the U S cut, which may seem blasphemous. I don't know, but like I watched the shorter cut. Cause also like my action movies to be like pretty quick you know under 90 minutes is great i was like i think i'll get it um and mostly i was watching it to like refresh to talk to you so i watched the u.s cut and i was reading people i think on letterboxd who you know who were giving the movie a bad rating and they kept complaining about it was too long and i was like oh shit they watched the international cut so i am very curious your thoughts if we watch different cuts of the movie so <laughs> this should be interesting. okay okay I, okay so i may have made a mistake mm-hmm. i watched the international cut and um uh, I okay. So premise wise, I found the movie very confusing for a while. It, it, this was one of those movies where, like, twenty minutes in, I paused it and I looked up a Wikipedia summary to be like, "What is going on in this movie?" <laughs> um, but essentially, so Tony Jaw and his dad raise elephants, mm-hmm. and there are poachers that come in and kill some elephants and steal their elephants. And Tony Jaw travels to Australia to get the elephants back. I'm right on this, right? Yes, you are 100 okay. percent right. Yeah, so. <laughs> And that's basically what there is, uh, the premise-wise that I understand. There's a lot of other bullshit going on with crime families and who's going to run the business and who's going to run the family. Oh, a uh-huh. lot of it has nothing to do with Tony Ja. He disappears from the movie a lot. Oh, no. Okay. And I didn't care about any of it. I found it all very confusing. Um so I didn't really enjoy the movie very much. Uh, I thought the action scenes were fantastic, but they're pretty infrequent because there's so much crime family drama going on. Yeah. That doesn't really make okay. sense <laughs> and doesn't involve Tony Jaw at all. Like I said, and um, Tony Jaw, like I, he, it felt like he was playing a child in this movie. <laughs> like he doesn't really have any personality outside of like, I like elephants and I want my elephants. And like, 
he does not feel like an adult. There's a very attractive woman that shows up in the movie that you think like, oh, this is going to be like the love interest, but nothing like that happens. All he cares about is elephants. All he wants is elephants. (laughs) And I am in, I want to make clear, like I am an animal lover. I have two cats. I adore them with all my heart. I love it whenever I come across a dog. Dogs are the best too, even though I don't want one because they're way too much work, but I love animals. um, So I can care about your elephant, I guess, but I don't know. Like that's all there is to the emotional arc in this movie. Like that's it. And, uh, and maybe that would have been fine for under 90 minutes, but for two hour movie just wasn't enough. Uh, I, I thought the fight scenes were very cool. I just never really cared about what was going on or like who it is he's fighting. There's a, there's an incredible fight sequence, mm-hmm. um, in this movie that is like in water and there's a bunch of fire going on and he fights like guy after guy after guy, but I didn't know who any of these guys are. And I didn't really understand why they're fighting. So I didn't. See, like there are people, there are people that just love to see fight scenes, just love it. And it doesn't really matter what's going on. And I respect those people. I think that's awesome. I'm just not one of those people. I have to care about the protagonist in an action movie. Like I have to care about the mission and I just never really got a handle on it in this movie. Um, But Tony Jaa is amazing in the action scenes. I love that he's wearing Converse high tops the whole time. That's really cool. (laughs) I love how he uses his body like a cannonball. Like he'll just jump knees first and just Mm. crash into people. And it's pretty (laughs) awesome. Uh, But I didn't really like the movie, but maybe I just watched the wrong cut. Wow. Yeah, this is wild because I you're telling me about this stuff, like the crime family stuff. I have no memory of ever seeing that. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure I've only watched the US cut and... And usually I'm kind of like, I'm pro director's cut longer. Usually I'm like for the longer cut. But I think what I'm hearing in this case is like the shorter cut is the way to go because like I had none of those problems because I can't, Tony Jaws hardly not in the movie in the US cut. He's like, and it's because it's, it's so fast because it's literally like you get the basic premise. Like you said, like they raise elephants, poachers come, they steal. I think it's like the, mom or is it the dad it's like a it's so it's like an adult elephant and the child the baby elephant they take both those elephants tony jaws like i got the elephants back he goes to australia and then it's just like fight scene fight scene fight scene like there's like <laughs> like he's just trying to get the elephants back um and that's base like i'm one of those people who's like you can just give me fights it's fine <laughs> like i'm those people <laughs> um most of the time not not always but i can be like i'm fine with that and i was watching a protector like the the plot is paper thin it's literally just tony jaw trying to get his elephants back like that is it and he's on a mission to get those damn elephants back <laughs> like like he's gonna kill everybody or break people's arms and legs to get them back like i was kind of charmed by how much he loved these elephants i'm like this is kind of like john wick but with elephants you know it's like he's like he, he does sad face and crying really well and there's a point where he's just really <laughs> sad and he's crying and i'm like man tony jaw is really nailing this yeah he <laughs> The little boy thing is interesting because he does kind of feel kind of childlike, but I, I, I took that as like, he's never really left his small village before. And then he's like kid in the big city. And like, um, he's kind of like innocent, you know, and uh, it's funny because he's so good at action, but he's also a, a good sympathetic person because he's definitely not like the biggest guy. And he has good facial expressions where I feel like, you know, you're with him on the, you know, he gets hurt, but you know, he can still kick pretty much anybody's ass. Like, um, I, that's uh, this this cut thing is amazing because I sounds like I will never watch international cut it sounds like because I don't want any of that like I love the version that exists because to me it is like so many good action sequences I feel like they're all kind of different in a way there's um there's a thing near the beginning like not near the beginning but when he first gets to Australia he gets to run like a street gang and there's like 
I think there's rollerbladers who pop up <laughs> and, or am I thinking of a different movie where it's like, um, no, I'm thinking of a different movie. Never mind. But, uh, so it's like these guys <laughs> come in on like ATVs and like, you know, all this street game fights, the street games, like warehouse. That's a great fight scene. There's some great, like stuff where you can, they, they sold this movie too. Like, Oh, no CGI, no stunt doubles, no wires. Um, and I'm inclined to believe them because it feels like it is Tony jaw doing all this crazy stuff and, uh, jumping up things and running off walls and like, um, doing all his own fights. Uh, and he's a pretty amazing, like physical performer, amazing fighter. Um, I don't know about his actual fight background. I hope I'm not going to be like, someone's be like, he's not really good a fighter. I'm like, Oh shit. Well, but, uh, uh, yeah, I love his, the style. And then there's the, the thing you mentioned where they're kind of in water and there's fire and he's fighting random guys. I think he's like fighting, like he's a funny guy who reminds me of like, uh, Eddie Gordo from Tekken, the video game, who's like the capoeira um, guy. <laughs> uh, Are you talking about the really big bald guy? No, no, that's that's actually your buddy. Uh, that's Nathan, Nathan Jones. Jones. That's Nathan yeah. Jones. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I just love that. Sorry, I was listening to your podcast and Nathan Jones is on. He brought up like, when you Google me, you're going to find this big bald guy from Australia. And I watched him for Hector. I was like, oh, it's Nathan Jones. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, no, there's a, there's a guy with dreads and he does like the dance fighting against like Tony Jaa, like the Brazilian dance fighting capoeira. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I cut it out from that. It's like, um, and they have a great fight. And then like, yeah, Nathan Jones comes in. They have a, it's all these different fights of people, you know, it's, and then, oh my, oh, there's two that are blow me away every time I watch it is the one take up the stairs. Um, yes. Yeah. Okay. Incredible. <laughs> like a over four minute legitimate one take fight sequence where he goes up these stairs and fights all these guys at different levels and they keep going up the stairs and um it's just amazing like i <laughs> see to just have to people need to see it to believe it because it's like i can't even do it just by talking about it so that scene's incredible um i think i they, i read they did like a few takes of that i think you can tell tony jaw looks a little exhausted at certain points because i mean he had to go up those stairs and fight all these guys like multiple times in one sequence with no breaks and it's like insane but uh and then the, the the fucking ending blows me away with like when he goes into this room and breaks like 30 to 40 guys legs and arms oh like, man yeah <laughs> like that's the kind of thing where it was like one of those moments where i'm just like blown away and i'm like this is why i love action movies like i was this is amazing and then there's even a good fight after that where he's to fight all these giant men and like you know cut their tendons and it's like <laughs> um and it's funny because there's like an emotional hook uh, something happens with one of the elephants that actually worked for me really well because I was really invested <laughs> and I was like yeah kick their ass Tony like you know that was just oh man I I really like it I have no problem with like an action movie plot being paper thin just get me to the fight scenes like just keep it moving um, and that's what the US cut does but it's not like the international cut has a lot of extra stuff in there that I have no use for <laughs> yeah I'm so jealous of your experience right now because like you're talking about all these fights and I saw all these fights but like, I felt differently watching them because like everything leading up to them was like so slow, so convoluted and like so confusing and, and, uh, and kind of boring, honestly, but it sounds like the way to go is to just have the paper thin <laughs> plot and go from fight to fight. Like that sounds a lot more fun, uh, than what I saw. So I guess I should have asked you first, but I just did like a quick Google and like somebody on some, I don't know, form or something said like the theatrical cut is incomprehensible. You have to watch the theatrical international cut. I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. I'll watch that. I don't but think I there's much you need to comprehend. I mean, it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like he wants his elephants back. The, <laughs> but if you lose all the, if you dump all the crime stuff, maybe that stuff's incomprehensible. But to me, it's like, 
I don't even, that stuff kind of blows by. There's a couple scenes with like the crime boss person, uh, the woman, I think. And then like, uh, there's like a dirty cop or who's Australian, I think. I kind of forgot what he does. And oh, like, there's a lot of him in this cut. Is there not very much of that cop? Not too much. No, oh, I think that's he's interesting. In like, he's in like maybe, I don't know, two or three scenes. He feels more. like a bigger character than Tony Ja in the international cut. Wow. Okay. And that's wild. he's kind of and like I didn't care for him really. <laughs> no, I didn't really like him either. But luckily, he's in so little of the uh, U.S. cut. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm rubbing this in. About it's like, and maybe maybe I'm wrong because maybe there are people who like who think the international is better and like i'm the one who's like you know I, i'm like the dumb one or something for like the u.s cut but but to me the u.s cut just moves so well and it's like full of great fight scenes that i feel like are all kind of like unique on their own it's not like you're watching you're not watching the same fight over and over and over they're all different action sequences different fights and i love it this is one of the movies that like when i saw it in like 2006 seven probably it was like a revelation i was like oh my god who is tony ja this movie's amazing. Like I loved it. Like I just um, was blown away by the action. So yeah, I'm sorry your experience was. And I I couldn't have told you because when I opened the Blu-ray, I was like, wait, there's two cuts. I don't know. Yeah, I'll go with the shorter one. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, that's. Uh, I was worried. I was like, I hope you haven't watched the longer cut. And it sounds like you did, unfortunately. <laughs> so I'm sorry. That's okay. You didn't know. I didn't know. Uh, yeah. So I mean, <laughs> I mean, when you see two cuts, if you're like me usually you you naturally go for the i think the longer cut or is that just is that me i don't know <laughs> i usually go for the theatrical cut of anything first uh mm -hmm. but in this case like there's a u.s theatrical cut and then an international one and i assume the international one's like the theatrical cut overseas so like i didn't feel like that rule really fit with this so i just went with the international cut because i figured that's the one that like american producers aren't screwing up like i know like the weinsteins did a lot with you know jackie chan movies and such yeah, and actually, the bad thing about this one, I believe this is this was bought by the wines, I think, because Tarantino's name was on it too, and he was still working with them around this time. I'm pretty sure. So uh, they might have been the ones that cut it down to like 85 minutes or whatever it is. Like, but uh, I, it, the only reason I even questioned it because if I had never seen the movie before, I probably would have popped on the longer cut, and because I would have thought, oh, they probably butchered this. Yeah. But I'd seen the movie before and I was like, I do not remember this movie ever being close to two hours long. And that does not seem right. So that's why I went with the shorter cut. So if you ever revisit it, watch the shorter cut. I think you'd like it way more, honestly. <laughs> no, I think I will. Uh, before that, though, I think I will still check out Ongbok. Have you seen that one? I hear that's great. I have seen Ongbok. It's in a very long time. And I feel like I don't remember much about it, honestly. But um, it was probably around the same time I saw this because uh, I was like, who's Tony Ja? And, you know, and um I, I don't remember much about it. I, I think it was good, but I haven't seen it since like 06, 07. So it's been a long time. So, okay, cool. But I think you'd like, probably like it. Um, So, okay. So the protector, uh, sadly, that didn't go as well as I thought it would. <laughs> damn, <laughs> that damn international cut. No, no, it's the, it's the, it's the cut thing. It's, it's fine. Um, so, okay. My next one, talk about possibly incomprehensible plots. I watched oh boy, here we the go. big sleep. <laughs> by uh howard hawks uh starring uh of course bogey and bacall humphrey bogart and lauren bacall and i'm gonna try to give the basic kernel of the plot good um, luck with this because i've seen this like three or four times and i don't think i could do it this makes me feel so much better from what you're telling me <laughs> and from what i read but okay so okay so humphrey bogart is a private eye philip marlowe uh famous private eye um you know and hired by a wealthy general to look into his youngest daughter's affairs and <laughs> make sure she's not getting in trouble. 
Uh, Lauren Bacall plays his other daughter, the general's other daughter, who kind of swoops in uh, right at the beginning, Tommy Bogard, and, and stops him and says, she doesn't think that's really why the general hired Humphrey Bogard. Like, she just wants him to um, find some other guy named Sean Regan, I believe his name is. It's been missing for a month, like a friend of the general's. Um, so right off the bat, you've got like, wait, so what's really going on? <laughs> and uh, this is the one, this is the movie where I thought to myself, and you can correct me if you don't agree with this or not, but I, I was thinking like, wow, I, I feel like film noir and Italian giallo movies are kind of similar to me in the, in the, the idea that the plot <laughs> is somewhat secondary a lot of the time and the other elements are what matters like the performances and the vibe and 100 percent. you're so right (laughs) okay that because big sleep i won't even attempt to go past what i just said because the plot gets so complicated (laughs) that i literally during the movie had to keep up with the wikipedia (laughs) like an idiot i would like rewind i'm like wait who's this person now what's happening um i read the synopsis afterwards i was like okay i don't know if i still quite get it but i I did like the movie because again, it gets by on like charm and like that cool tough guy film noir PI dialogue, you know, like, uh, you know, all that great stuff. And like uh, Bogart and Bacall are great. Like, um, but I could, if you gave me like, if you said, Matt, I'll give you a thousand dollars. Tell me the plot. I don't think I could do it because I don't think I could possibly (laughs) pull it together. Um, so All right, I'll, I'll take my thousand dollars back then. Okay, Never mind. Well, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> I'll Venmo it back to you. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, you know, I, it's hard to talk about it because I, the plot is like, I don't know. I don't know what happened, but I like the weird thing is I did really like it as it was happening because it just had that perfect like film noir detective vibe. And I really like Humphrey Bogart as a, I don't know if actor movie star. Cause I feel like he has a presence. Like, I don't even know if he's the best actor. Cause I kind of, every time I've seen Bogart, he's kind of playing what I have always thought of him. <laughs> it's like the, almost like the caricature. I don't want to like, I don't want to knock him down. I'm just saying like, he's such a strong personality that like he, he's just Humphrey Bogart to me. You know what I mean? Like, and he's just got, he embodies this like old Hollywood film noir thing and like but I really like that I really love that he does that so he's really good uh and then yeah I mean there's there's <laughs> it's funny because the other daughter uh played by Martha Vickers uh comes in like right at the first couple minutes of the movie and for some like, she seemed like she was beamed out of like now that woman seemed like she was like so modern to me and like she came out of like she came from the future to come into this movie <laughs> um she's really good she's got like a it's, you almost have two femme fatales this movie but um with her and Bacall but uh yeah they it's so interesting and I, but I can't talk about any of the specifics because I don't I feel like I would just start like completely tripping over myself trying to get people through the plot and I felt much better because I read the INDB trivia and it said the screenwriters called up Raymond Chandler who of course wrote the book and had questions about like they didn't say specifics but like they were like who who killed this character who killed Geiger yeah and then because Bogart asked that asked like Howard Hawks or something he's like who killed Geiger and nobody knew and they're like we're gonna have to call the author (laughs) and I feel like even he, uh, Chandler was like, oh, it's on page, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, no, it's not. And he's like, oh, okay, well then, <laughs> never mind. And then I mean, <laughs> he told them or they made it up or something. Like, 
it, it just sounds like no one like david quite... lynch being asked to explain a racer head he's like no <laughs> no i will not elaborate on that um <laughs> So yeah, that one's kind of hard to talk about. I mean, I don't know what points you want to bring up at it, but I did like it. It's my least favorite of the three, probably because I just was trying to wrap my head around the plot, but I still really, really enjoyed it. And it is like a great example of like what I think of as like the 40s film noir. So yeah, so uh, this is the one where I like, I wasn't sure how this was going to go, but I picked <laughs> it because one, I just think it's, it's such, well, it's just a big, undisputedly, it's a huge classic film. Uh, that I feel like everybody should see. Um, but also, I think it's a perfect example of exactly what the PI private investigator noir is. And also, Bogart is just so the perfect archetype of a PI. You know, The Maltese Falcon is maybe a better movie than The Big Sleep, but I don't get as much like film noir vibes and like that style from the Maltese Falcon near as much as in the big sleep. I think the big sleep is such is so much more an example of exactly what a noir is uh, than the Maltese Falcon, which is more of a straightforward movie. That's just about a private investigator. Um, I love the big sleep. I absolutely love this movie, but I love it because I think it's so incredibly entertaining from scene to scene to scene. Uh, but I acknowledge it doesn't fit together all that well. And the plot doesn't really make all that much sense. The first <laughs> time I saw it, like I thought I was the problem and I was just like, I don't get this at all. But like you, you know, I did some reading about it and found everybody feels that way. Uh, so now when I rewatch the movie, I don't really worry about the plot. I just love watching Bogart. Uh, he's so cool in this movie. He's just so much fun to follow through. And uh, there's not much in all of movies that I like better than Bogart and Bacall on screen together. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. a huge fan of both of them, particularly when they are together. And uh, there were actually a lot of reshoots for this movie to film more scenes with Bogart and Bacall because after watching the first cut, the producers were like, oh, this is the best thing in the movie. And she was starting to rise up as a star. Uh, so they're like, we need more Bacall. So they, the, another reason it's confusing. They shot a bunch more scenes with her. And man, there are so many scenes of them together that are fantastic. The dialogue is so good. It's got, again, a lot of really horny uh, sexual <laughs> dialogue that's just not totally explicit, but it's certainly close enough. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got to bring up the one <laughs> example I was, I mentioned this earlier, and I almost forgot to bring it up right now, um, is the scene where uh, Bogart's in a bookstore, like stalk, uh, kind of staking out someone. If I Best scene in the movie. Okay, yeah. And there's a girl who runs the, the bookstore. And so he's like, I got to watch this other guy from here, I think it was Geiger, right? Is that who he's watching? Uh, I, I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, it's like, eh, it's like, so So yeah, he's watching <laughs> Geiger from across here in this bookstore. He's kind of taking him out. And there's a line, I don't know exactly the line, but I'm kind of paraphrasing where it's like, it starts to rain outside. <laughs> and Bogart's like, they're kind of flirting, him and this girl in the bookstore are kind of flirting pretty heavily anyway. And he like closes the blinds on the store and says something like, I'd rather be wet in here or something. I'm like, holy, like, I think I spit my drink out or something. <laughs> I was like, uh, I, I'd rather you be wet in here. And I was like, oh, good God. And then <laughs> she says, well, and she closes the curtains That's, and puts okay. closed. She, she closes it. Yeah. And then it's like heavily implied that they just have sex while they're waiting around. <laughs> so I was like, wow, movie. I just was kind of blown away by like, that's like right up to the line. I feel like of pushing it of like, we can barely get away with this, but um, I was, it was amazing. I was like, this is crazy. I, yeah. So that kind of stuff, it's like, okay, this is, this is a great movie, but it's just like the plot is so, it sounds very secondary to everyone from what I was reading. Everyone's just like, eh, whatever. Like, you know, it's about Bogart and McCall's chemistry and it's about like 
tough guy detective stuff. And like, you know, it's just, so I did really like it for all that stuff. And I think I would like it more watching again because I wouldn't be so focused on trying to unwrap this plot. Cause it sounds like it's not even really meant to be unraveled. Like you shouldn't focus on it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. It's just a movie that like, I just kind of kick back, relax, enjoy. Every scene is entertaining. Every dialogue exchange is fun to listen to. Um, I am a huge Bogart fan. I love him. I could just watch him in anything. Uh, and, and by the way, like I totally understand saying that like maybe he's more of a persona, less of an actor. But the movie that I saw where I realized that like, oh, this guy is one hell of an actor too, is The African Queen. Okay, which is a yeah. movie with him and Catherine Hepburn. And man, I, I think he won it. I think he actually won his Oscar for that movie, but I think he gives one hell of a performance in that movie. Uh, so yeah, I love Bogart. And did you realize that this is your second movie swap episode in a row that has a Philip Marlowe movie? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think I did. Oh, the Long bi- Goodbye. Right? The Long Goodbye. It's the, they're ba- both this movie and The Long Goodbye are based on the same book series. They're about the same character. So Bogart and Elliot Gould are the same guy. I love Long Goodbye too. I, I did watch it recently and I was like, oh, this is great. Yeah. So uh, listen, I'm in the bag for like private detective movies. Like I need to watch more of them. <laughs> like I love the whole like private investigator thing. Usually it's great. And like, cause I like, it's like one guy who's usually just trying to do something kind of simple and it, he gets in wherever his head and gets involved in all this bullshit. And I feel like usually he doesn't want to be involved. In, like, And he's like, and he's just kind of like trying to do his job. And he's like, Oh God, now I'm in this like huge conspiracy of other stuff. So um, I kind of love it. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, it was good. I will watch it again down the road, I'm sure. And then be, I'd probably like it even more because I won't be so concerned with the, with the whole plot. <laughs> so, I, I um, will say one last thing. Um, I feel like the plot being confusing is one reason they were able to get away with certain things in this movie. Like, did you realize this movie is partially about pornography? No, I think I was reading something where that was more in the book too, or like, um, yeah, I didn't really, I didn't pick that up in the movie though. (laughs) It's just so confusing. It's kind of hard to catch, but yeah, a lot of this movie is about pornographic pictures being taken of the younger sister, Lauren Bacall's little sister. And like, she's being blackmailed for it. And Bogart like tracks down the blackmailers and stuff. But, uh, it's like maybe confusing enough. The censors didn't really catch it, but uh, <laughs> the movie is a little bit darker than you realize, which also I think is, is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. That um, I, I was reading the trivia and I think they were talking about in the book, it's way more obvious about that stuff. And the, of course they couldn't do it because of the censors. And yeah, it, it's funny because when you're talking about like censors or even the NPA board now, they kind of sound like the dumbest people on earth because, <laughs> because like, first of all, they're, they're prudes about everything and you, but you can get so much past them still. It's like, they're so weird with like what they allow, what they won't allow, what they catch, what they don't catch. Like, um, I don't know. It's very interesting to me. There's a, there's a really good documentary about the ratings board. It's more current. It's more like from the past 15, 20 years called not yet rated or this movie is not yet rated. Have you heard of this documentary? I, I don't know that I have, actually. I think it's kind of hard to see now, which is unfortunate. But I remember watching it on TV a lot. Back then. It's really good. It's about this guy kind of like he tries to examine the MPA board and like how they rate things and why they do what they do. And he kind of like the, the board, the MPA board is like very secret about the members, like who's on the board. And he kind of like throughout the movie also kind of like figures out who they are and like kind of like infiltrates a little bit. And like um, it's very interesting. Like it's a really good documentary um, about like and about how the MPA is like so hypocritical about certain things and like we'll let bigger studio movies through but we'll be harder on indies and about how of course how they will allow you to have ungodly amounts of violence but like you show like 
a vagina for a second and you're an X-rated movie. You know, it's like, um, it's crazy. And it's, yeah, it's it's really interesting. I would, ch- I would recommend checking it out if you haven't seen it yet. It's, uh, yeah, I think it's called This Movie Is Not Yet Rated. It's really good. That does sound great. Another <laughs> weird thing about the ratings back in these days is there kind of were certain directors who were so talented so beloved and like kind of considered sophisticated that they were kind of allowed to get away with more than other directors were. Uh, A couple of top examples were Billy Wilder. Because if you watch Billy Wilder movies, man, he pushes it as far as he can with a lot of his Mm -hmm. movies. And uh, Ernst Lubitsch is another guy. So like they're they're kind of were they had their favorites who they like kind of let squeak by and like other people weren't allowed to. So yeah, um, that is one thing that I, I say this a lot on my podcast that I do love about old movies is just the rating stuff and the sensors. I just find it fascinating. Yeah, it is pretty interesting about what what gets through and what doesn't in all these probably behind the scenes fights they had to get certain ratings. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, Big Sleep was uh, was fun, even though I don't know what happened, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> Good, I'm glad you enjoyed it. It sounds like we, we have pretty similar experiences uh, with this movie then. Yeah, so um, that's all I had on Big Sleep, so. Okay, uh, in that case, uh, this is this is the big one. This is the big mm-hmm. one for us, I think. Uh, we're going to be talking about Running Scared, which is from 2006, and it's starring Paul Walker. Um, so I think this movie has a phenomenal premise. Like I said, the like the one's premise is like kind of overwritten, a little overly complicated. Running Scared is like perfect. So uh, after a drug operation has gone bad, essentially, uh, Joey Gazelle, played by Paul Walker, who's involved in in some pretty heavy criminal shit, uh, is put in charge of disposing the gun that shot a dirty cop. But things go wrong for Joey after the neighbor kid steals the gun and uses it to shoot his abusive father uh, or stepfather. Rather, now Joey has to find the kid and the gun before the police and the mob find them first, because essentially if the cops find this kid and they find the gun, they're going to be able to connect that gun to the shooting of this cop. And uh, and Paul Walker is going to be put in jail or maybe even sent to the electric chair, I think he mentions at one point. And so it is incredibly incredibly intense uh it is this one crazy night thriller essentially of paul walker running all around trying to find this kid just getting mixed up in crazy thing after crazy thing (laughs) and the thing about this movie it is vile and disgusting to a level that i was shocked by like this is a full-scale exploitation movie in every way like after i watched i post on twitter like if you haven't seen this you need to watch it during June exploitation. Like, I don't care <laughs> that this isn't a seventies movie. Like this is a grindhouse movie. Essentially. It has some of the most constant foul language I've ever heard <laughs> this side of Tarantino and like, not just normal curse words, but like every vile, disgusting, offensive word you can think of. They are routinely shouting in this movie. It is brutally violent to an insane degree. Uh, it's within five minutes of the movie. Someone's Achilles heel is get, gets cut and then their dick is shot off. Like it is really, really violent, really gross. And I was so on its wavelength. Like I just, <laughs> perfect. I so appreciated just how hard this movie goes. And okay, Paul Walker. Let's talk about Paul Walker for a okay. little bit. I love this. I, I love this man. Um, I, I've always liked him, but I essentially, I especially grew an appreciation for him recently when I binged through the entire Fast and the Furious series. And I just realized that like, man, he elevates that series so much. And I don't think people really realize what an asset he was while he was alive, sadly, but especially now just, he's so charismatic. He's so cool. He just seems like the nicest guy. But in this movie, it's almost like his, 
like Nicolas Cage and bringing out the dead performance or something like he is so high charged, high energy, screaming through a lot of this movie. There's a point where he literally just falls on his knees and is screaming fuck like he's Nicolas Cage <laughs> and Snake Eyes or something. Uh, man, he's just so wire charged in this movie. And I love, love, loved him in the movie. He's such a great lead. And he's so natural in this like deep, dark criminal underbelly world. Uh, and I loved writing Scared Man. I thought it was a vile, disgusting movie that I really appreciated. And I kind of wish more movies were like willing to go this hard. Oh, another re way that it goes yeah. hard. Okay. Vera Farmiga. <laughs> Vera Farmiga from the Conjuring movies is in this movie. She is introduced with a like really sleazy ass shot, essentially, where like her thong is coming up. And I'm like, they're doing this with Vera Farmiga? Like she's like <laughs> America's mom after those Conjuring movies. So weird. Um, the, the movie is like, it's really sleazy too. Uh, and yeah, like full on grindhouse exploitation movie would be playing in the grossest theaters in the 1970s. And uh, I just really had a great time with it. <laughs> After the way you entered it, I was like, wait, he liked it, right? Yeah, like, yeah I did. <laughs> amazing. Okay. Yes, you did a great job. That was amazing. Um, you know what's so funny? I watched this couple nights ago, rewatched it for, I don't know, I've seen a lot of times. And I was think I was worried. I was like, oh shit is this like, is Daniel going to hate this? I give him like a movie that's like too much because, because I had forgotten like how hard it goes, like, especially like, like, yeah, there's like a, a, some language of any pick a bad word every five seconds, if quicker, maybe it's like every two seconds, there's like somebody like fucking motherfucking cocksuck. It's like, everybody's just like, everybody is like using the worst language constantly. And it is super violent and a lot of fucked up things happen. Um, for some reason I was worried about you. Like, I know you like a lot of movies, but I'm like, I don't know why I imagine you like at home, like, <laughs> like a fifties dad with a pipe trying to like, enjoy yourself. <laughs> and like, you're so like, uh, you know, I'm not <laughs> like, you're not like a PG person, but I don't know why I'm worried about your sensibilities. Like, oh, this might be too much for Daniel, but, but no, you like everything. But, um, but yeah, I'm glad you loved it. Cause I was like, oh Jesus, have I given Daniel like a movie that almost would reflect badly on me that I love it, but I'm glad you loved it too. So, okay, running scared. Let's get into this because the funny thing, we were talking a little bit about this and I feel like this movie could have had its own episode on this podcast um, because a lot of talk about, I, I fucking love this movie because I rented it on a whim in like probably the year 2007, probably year after it came out or something. And it was like a red box rental along with a, a movie that I still cannot watch called ultraviolet have you seen ultraviolet mila jovich no i've heard of it but no it's horrible it's a horrible movie like right, you know top pretty... of my list oh god it's <laughs> <laughs> like i'm pretty nice about movies but i can't recommend ultraviolet at all like it's a i tried to watch it a few months ago and i turned off after like five or ten minutes but i never do i never turn a movie off but like i was like nope don't want to watch this ever again <laughs> like really hated ultraviolet so i rented ultraviolet and running scared and running scared came second and i was like up super late it was like two in the morning or something and i put running scared on expecting like nothing i'm like oh it's some paul walker action movie i don't and like to me at this time paul walker was just like fast and the furious guy and like pretty boy from you know like uh was he in um she's all that you know, yeah. so he's like a real pretty boy, laid back California dude. And I'm going to make this comparison. People don't get mad at me, but his performance of running scared reminded me of like what, what DiCaprio is doing in the departed. It's this like person another 2006 who, Vera Farmiga movie. Yes, another, exactly. <laughs> and uh, she had a good year. So and also the way of like, I had not seen either one of those guys in anything like 
the movie they were doing. So like, to me, this was like a quantum leap forward in like their acting ability and like how good they are. Like Paul Walker blew me away this movie. Cause he's like doing something I never seen him do before. I didn't think he was capable of this kind of thing. <laughs> I'm like, nice guy laid back. Paul Walker's like, you know, he's so high strung, like the whole movie, like he is on the edge. He feels like he's on the verge of a mental breakdown. Like he's pitched at such a level that's like, it's insane. Like, I cannot believe they keep up this level of like energy from basically the beginning, the very beginning to the very end of the movie of this, like things are ratcheted up to such a degree that it's just insane. And like, um, I, this movie, oh man, I have so many good things to say about this movie. So I watched it like two in the morning. It was one of the movies where I'm like, I come up off the couch. Like I'm laying down. I'm by, by the end, I'm sitting up and like, you know, I'm just like, oh my God, this movie is incredible. And specifically at a part, they have to talk about it. this. This made the movie for me. Yep, I know where you're going. You know what? Okay. <laughs> this sequence is so incredibly done, like from start to finish, that it could be like its own short film almost. Okay. So this gets away Paul Walker. But uh, so <laughs> there's a sequence where, so the kid that they, the neighbor boy that has run off with the gun is going through all these crazy adventures. Like you said, he's running like very scary homeless people in the park. Um, he's uh, running into like pimps. He's running into like, and eventually he gets picked up. He seeks into a van and gets taken by these two people who seem almost like a nice, normal couple at first. And then they take him back to their apartment with a couple other kids. And he realizes that, shit is not right at this apartment. These people are up to no good, <laughs> like at all. And he sneaks off and manages to call Vera Farmiga, which I also love that it gives her something to do too. It's like they bring her into the movie because before that, she's kind of like concerned wife. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so they get her and he calls her. He's like, this is bad. These people kind of kidnapped me. You got to come help me. And she goes there and I'm, oh, I want to say so much about it, but I don't want to spoil it. But um, basically she comes in knows that he's there is looking all over the apartment they're kind of like trying to get her out of there because they've abducted these children and like they're trying to say like oh these two kids are our kids we don't know where your kid you're looking for is like get out of our apartment it's late at night blah blah and she basically can't find him she is about to leave and then realizes something that tips her off like this isn't right goes back in and then the way they reveal the depths of what these people are up to is so sickening that it's like, wow, this is really fucked up. And then the way that the scene ends was like, like chef's kiss. I'm like, yes, like that's exactly what I wanted you to do, Vera Farmiga, because that's the only way it's gonna end. <laughs> like, um, I really talked around it there, but if people have seen it, they know what I'm talking about, but it's so good. It, like it, it keeps adding layers to it about what's happening and the tension is so high and it's like, um, oh my God, it's amazing. It's an amazing sequence. I'll, I'll start with that, but yeah. like. Yeah, that sequence scared the shit out of me. Like, yeah. <laughs> it is so much scarier than anything in Vera Farmiga's Conjuring movies. Uh, <laughs> it freaked me out. Um, there's even, like, there are shots where, like, Elizabeth Mitchell, who is the, the quote-unquote right. mother figure here. Uh, and Elizabeth Mitchell, an actress I really, really like. So it was interesting to see her in, in this kind of role uh, where she's walking like behind a window where you can only see her silhouette and like her hands turn into these claws. Like mm -hmm. she's again, like the crooked man in, in the Conjuring movies <laughs> or something. This sequence is so frightening. It is so intense and it, it is like its own contained short film in the middle. 
Uh, and you know, does it fit with everything else? Uh, I don't know. I think probably well enough, but I understand if people say it isn't, but ultimately who cares? It's the best thing in the movie. It's, I mean, the whole movie is full of just crazy misadventures. So mm -hmm. this is just another one and it happens to be the best one. Uh, this, this director, the guy who made this movie, Wayne Kramer, his name is, he's only made five movies. He's never made a horror movie, but I'm watching this and I'm like, good Lord, give this guy a horror <laughs> movie script. Like, let him go nuts. Like he can make something really frightening. Uh, cause he did here. That, that's an incredible incredible sequence and i agree with you about it making the movie i mean i would still like the movie without it but right. it's really elevated by that Be sequence because that's the part where i remember specifically and this is so long ago now that i remember watching the movie and already liking it but it gets the sequence and i literally i'm sitting up like that's where i remember i sat up off the couch and i'm like like almost biting my nails like it's almost yeah. comically like you know like and it the way that it just builds and builds and builds and builds uh to like the perfect ending i thought to that sequence i'm like perfect great i was like that's what i want you to do and uh like i just couldn't believe that and then at that point i was 100 in. i was already in but i was 100 in and i've wanted to talk about that sequence for years like on a podcast or write about it or something because i just think it's so brilliantly done and i can't believe he's only directed five movies because um this is so good and he did another movie called the cooler with uh william h macy and alec baldwin which i know i saw like years and years ago uh i need to rewatch it but it was good too um and i'm like why does this guy not get more chances because he's a, clearly a talented director and like that's everything i'm glad you mentioned the whole weird thing with like elizabeth mitchell and like uh kind of like they show her silhouette and it's like scary because there's these weird like horror touches and like fairy tale touches which are really um put in like the end credits really draw like shine a light on like oh okay the the neighbor boy like he's kind of going through this weird dark fairy tale thing running all these characters um and that part is like yeah almost like the the couple that like tricks the kids with like candy or something you know like almost like a <laughs> like uh uh what am i thinking of uh hansel and gretel or something where it's like yeah she traps these kids or something you know um so it's this weird he, on top of being a weird fucked up exploitation movie he adds like a fairy tale element which is just like you don't even need to do that but i love that he <laughs> i love that he did it because it's just like yeah add an extra layer in there make it more interesting so yeah it's funny we're talking about this movie in tandem with all these 40s noirs and we're, and we're having a lot of conversation about like sensors and stuff. Cause man, few movies feel less censored than running scared. Like it is just <laughs> as hardcore as yeah. anyone wanted to be. And it seems like every, all the producers, everyone involved was just like, yeah, sure. Go for it. Do whatever <laughs> you want. And yeah. this is the movie that we get. Kind of a miracle got made. Like, I don't know how like this made it through into, I mean, even 2006, I'm like, wow. And I'm like, if they censor anything, what did they censor? Because it feels like, <laughs> it feels like nothing was, was dropped out. I mean, um, yeah, it's so, it, yeah, so like gritty and like just violent. <laughs> like there, it's especially there's an amazing sequence uh, near the end on like an ice rink, like an ice hockey rink that they turn black lights on for. They get super violent too, and it's like really bloody. violent. Yeah. yeah, it's like hard, kind of hard to watch at times because the violence to me felt kind of like not like it's super realistic, but it it felt like it hurt if that makes sense like there's a part where paul walker gets like a hockey puck shot into his face directly and i'm like that would really really hurt multiple like, times yeah multiple times i'm like i think his face would cave in <laughs> like by hockey players like this is insane um it's i and I, I was thinking about that too i love that wayne kramer like all these unique settings that he does every like it's like i'm not gonna just have a bunch of bad guys meet up in like a warehouse i'm gonna have them meet up in a ice hockey rink and we're gonna put black lights on it just because it'll look <laughs> really cool and interesting you know it's like 
uh, and that whole, and it's so different than a look of like Elizabeth Mitchell and her husband's apartment. That looks completely different. Like there's all these different little settings and like things to keep things interesting. Like it, nothing is like generic or boring about this movie at any point. <laughs> oh, I also have to shout out. I love how the gross uh, Russian abusive stepdad is obsessed with John Wayne as John Wayne tattooed on his back. will never shut up about the movie, the yeah. Cowboys. And I was just thinking like, I hope one of these days our mutual friend, Chris Hurtado watches this and is like, yes, only assholes are into John Wayne. Screw this guy. Cause Chris would definitely talk like I that. I thought about that because, because, uh, I hadn't seen it in so long and I kind of remember the John Wayne stuff, but uh, not quite. I remember you and I, I think I've had conversations about John Wayne about where like, I've had that impression of John Wayne where I don't like him either. But then like, you kind of turned me around him a little bit where I'm like, okay, he he has some good stuff. But like, I kind of felt the way the kid did where I'm like, I'm like, fuck John Wayne, but I'm not that harsh on him now. But <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's just funny because like my stepdad was like obsessed with um John Wayne. He's not like this guy at all. <laughs> that's true. Oh, that's good. He's not an abusive Russian man who uh, <laughs> that's like I really related to this movie. I really related deeply to this movie. <laughs> I stole a gun from my neighbor. I had a crazy night. Okay, um, don't stop confessing things. Hold on, call your lawyer. <laughs> right, right. Uh call your lawyer, Michael Scott. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, I would need to call Mike for if I get in trouble. Uh no, no, none of this, none of this happened to me. But no, I the John Wayne thing was weird because at the time I watched this, I'm like, uh, my step, who's nothing like this guy. Let me just again say he's not like this horrible man, but he was obsessed with John Wayne. It kind of made me not like John Wayne because every time I saw John Wayne, I'm kind of like, he's kind of boring. <laughs> like I, you know, it's kind of like, eh. But uh, but I like it more now. I'll say that. But yeah, there's a, so much weird stuff. Like the John Wayne thing is weird. Like, you know, but I like all these weird little touches because they make the movie unique. You know what I mean? It's not just like, uh, he's just some asshole abusive dad. He's like this weird Russian guy is obsessed with John Wayne. <laughs> like, and he has this like weirdly noble backstory we find out. Yeah. Which is really strange. I forgot they kind of like paint him in a different light by the end of the movie. And he kind of, I don't want to say ridiculous, redeems himself he gets kind kind of redeems himself. he kind of does the right thing in the end but he's yeah. still so gross and yeah, like real really gross. awful in the beginning <laughs> really really awful yeah it's like the beginning's really i forgot how rough the beginning is and like um with you know how rough uh his home life is i feel bad he bring the kid's name um they say it like 900 times uh like the neighbor <laughs> the neighbor kid the russian boy uh yeah olgi that's not right um oh oleg oleg okay yeah, yeah. oh yeah they say it so many times, um, but uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. I just, I feel like the movie, it hit me like, and it sounds like cliche or stupid, but like a bolt of lightning. Like this movie is like a fucking shotgun blast through a door. Like the opening comes in hot. Like even the opening, like just throws you right into like an intense, like standoff with guns and people getting shot. And it's like, the movie just has no, it doesn't let up. And it was funny because um my mutual friend Phil on Twitter watched this because uh, I think because you posted about it and I talked about it too. And then he was like, I'm glad I watched it on Tubi because there were ad breaks, <laughs> which kind of helped. And I'm like, and I was saying to myself, like, I get your, I get the point because like that would help the tension. But when I, I watched it on Blu-ray and I'm, I was kind of thinking like, it, it's it's nice. It's kind of like relentless. I'm like, I, the breaks are probably good, but I kind of like that it doesn't let up for like anything. <laughs> yeah, I want to get the Blu-ray. I do intend to. It's very cheap, I think. So, <laughs> you know, you know, it's funny. I was also talking to our mutual friend, uh, Mitch Oliver, about this movie last night. And he said, Man, I used to be obsessed with that movie, but the last time I tried to watch it, it just made me feel sick. 
And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I get it, man. Like, I understand. I, I get it. But I'm still so like, it has a lot of just nasty, like things like, but you're, it's like an old school exploitation movie. It's like very gritty and very just nasty. And you can't believe this many, like, people who were now like Vera Farmiga it's like what is she doing in this movie like she's so classy and it's like, but uh but I love it I don't know why I'm really drawn to like these very seedy um like rough like kind of movies uh so not the life that I lead like I'm like drinking glass of milk watching running scared like you know like, just like I don't know it's not my my style usually but I love these like really fucked up like just crazy movies where like a bunch of gangsters are murdering each other and cussing every two seconds and like uh you know just i don't know i love this movie it's probably gonna get its own episode at some point down the road i i just realized i think this is the best way to describe this movie this movie is like a safty brothers movie but more hardcore and explicit i think that's basically what this that's is true because i was thinking of uncut gems kind of throughout this and good time yeah um because they're both like movies that are very you feel very anxious most of the time and very tense and they don't really let up. They're very much like, go, go, go. And oh, they're thinking all this. It's like, oh, it's like a great one crazy night movie, which is like a subgenre that I love. It's like the one crazy night movie. And this is definitely, talk about one crazy night, <laughs> like for everybody involved, like the kid, um, Paul Walker, like, um, yeah, I mean, it's, oh God, I love this movie so much. <laughs> I really, I talk about it any chance I get. If someone's like, what's an underrated 2000s movie? I'm like running scared that go see that movie. Um, and we talked a little bit before. It's like, I, I always say it's underrated. I'm not sure if that's the right term because I feel like anyone that brings it up usually is like, oh my God, great movie. I love it. It's underrated. But I think maybe underseen is the better term. I think it's still, I know what, I'm pretty sure it bombed when it came out. It got dumped in like February. Um, and I don't think anyone knew what it was. And like, so it didn't do well financially. And I think people still need to catch up with it. But people that have seen it seem to love it. So that's good. <laughs> Yeah, it just doesn't look like a must-see movie. No, it it's like it it just I don't remember how they marketed it, but I think also the the poor Paul Walker at the time probably everyone was like he's not a tough action star, he's a pretty boy, you know. So that probably didn't help. And I think there's like a quote on the Blu-ray that's like one of those like kind of like annoying cliche critic quotes. They want like they, they want a pull quote basically, and it's like I think the quote was like "Running scared makes Kill Bill look like Sesame Street." Oh, come on. And it's like, what? <laughs> like, Get out of here. I know. It's like, don't, no reason to compare those movies. What are you doing? Like, that doesn't even make sense. Um, I mean, it's a very tough movie. They're right about that. But like, why are we comparing Kill Bill to Rain Scared? They're nothing. They're not alike at all. <laughs> like, no. um, so weird. But yeah, I don't know. I think the marketing was probably bad. And like, just no one knew, no one was aware of it or what it was. It like, um, yeah. So I don't know. I'm glad people are coming around to it. And I see people are saying they like it. So, um, I love this movie. I I'm sure I have more to say, but that that probably be another episode down the road. If I I have a lot more to say, so but yeah, I love. Glad you love. I hope this made up for the first two movies that were just kind of like okay. <laughs> no, yeah, I totally did, and I was really glad I wasn't going to come on and kind of shrug my shoulders about all three movies. I'm like, eh, why don't you give me some noirs, Matt? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh no. Oh yeah. I'm glad this kind of seems like it elevated every, uh, you know, br it brought the whole thing up. Like, uh, it's like, yeah, this, this makes up for there too. So, uh, I'm really glad you liked it. Cause I wasn't sure when I rewatched it. Like, Oh God, I hope, I hope Daniel liked it. I imagine you, I just imagine you watching your house and like Steph comes in and it's like, what the hell are you watching? <laughs> she never did walk in. Thankfully. Oh, because, it's good. Uh, it would probably would have stressed her out. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very stressful movie. It really yeah. is. Like I'm on Paul Walker's like 
stress level the whole time where he's just like frantically trying to get this gun back. Like he's, he's so good in this movie. Like, damn it. I miss Paul Walker too. <laughs> like, Oh man. Cause he could have done more stuff like this. I would have loved to see that. So, uh, Oh, well, but <laughs> um, anything else on running scared? I feel like we talked about it uh, plenty. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm good. Okay. Well, I'm glad stuff. you loved it. Um, okay. So last movie, I almost feel like this is like the epilogue. <laughs> like we just did like the, the main event and talk about running scared for like however many minutes, but I, I like this movie a lot. Uh, you get the last one you gave me was out of the past directed by Jock Turneau. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, who I really, he made cat people. I really like that movie um, starring Robert Mitchum, uh, Kirk Douglas and Jane Greer. Um, basically out of the past is uh, simpler than big sleep. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> um and i i love the premise of this because i love this kind of premise too where this uh robert mitchum plays a guy who was a private eye who wants to escape his past so he moves to a small town to run a gas station um just kind of like enjoy small town life like go fishing at the creek and like you know be quiet and not be bothered and yeah and um so he's kind of just trying to get away from his kind of like dark past and um of course because there's a movie to happen here. His past catches up with him. <laughs> and one of the guys finds him in the small town and uh, tells him that one of these guys that um, uh, Whit Sterling, played by Kirk Douglas, uh, he's ordered him to meet up, uh, come back to Lake Tahoe, I believe, if that's correct, and like come back and see him, basically. And and um, so Rob Mitchum goes along with that. And is he's dating this woman now who is like a nice small town uh, girl <laughs> named Anne. Uh, Anne Miller. What an Ann American Miller. What name. a great like small town America girl name. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, perfect. Uh, Virginia Houston, who's good. Um, and she goes along with him on the drive. And on that drive, he tells her his whole kind of backstory about kind of, you know, what got him to this point and his his past. And basically, um, this Whit Sterling guy hired um, Robert Mitchum's character to um, kind of go track down his mistress, uh, Kathy, played by, I already said it, uh, Jane Greer, <laughs> who's really good in this. I'll, we'll talk about her more, but she's really good. Uh, great femme fatale. And he has to go, in the past, he tracked her down to Mexico because she uh, shot uh, Kirk Douglas and took off with a bunch of his money. Um, so he traces her there. They kind of like fall for each other while they're there. And of course, things get complicated from from that point. Um and I don't know how much more to say about that because I don't want to start giving away like spoilers, stuff like that. Because this probably of the three gaming would be like maybe the most underseen for people of the three. Um, it's the one probably. I hear the least about. So, um, so yeah, this was it, it was funny because when it first started, it was giving me like vibes of like history of violence, similar, oh, you know, good call, good like call. great double feature. Lindsay, if you're listening, <laughs> out of the past, history. it goes a very different kind of route than history of violence, but um. That at first I was like, okay, small guy running a or small town guy running a business in a small town. He kind of wants to live alone from a dark past. Um, but yeah, all the backstory stuff happens with him kind of falling for this woman in Mexico and them trying to make a life together. And of course, like, you know, it's a film noir. So of course things aren't going to be sunny and great. So <laughs> um, things don't go great. But then like kind of we go back into the present and some surprising things are revealed there. I won't say more than that because I would get deep into like spoilers. But um out of the past was really cool. I liked it. It kind of felt to me like the most modern in a way. I don't know how to describe it. Like it felt, it, I don't know. It didn't feel dated at all. Not like everyone's felt dated, but it just felt like I had a cool vibe to it. I like the way it looked, but that's probably from 
Tourneau, who's a great director. And I feel like every movie I've seen of his, the movies always look great visually. Um, I just really, I really dug it. I like the vibe that it was on. Like, um, it's a cool movie. I don't, I feel like I'm just saying the same thing, but I just, I really liked it. Um, my second favorite of the three, because Double Indemnity is still like my favorite, but Out of the Past was was very good. So I'm curious your thoughts on this one. So I picked this one because it seems to be the popular consensus of most everyone who knows about film noir, that this is the top example of exactly what a noir is. It's oh. like the, the absolute uh, blueprint. Um, it's just kind of got everything that you could possibly need in a noir. I mean, first of all, it's, it's, perfectly visually noir. It has just got so much light and shadow to the cinematography. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful movie, um, but it's about a private eye. It's got criminals. It has a very, very much an example, perfect example of what a femme fatale is. Uh, it has a dark past coming to haunt you, framing for murder that it ends up and they're like, ultimately, no matter what you're screwed because mm -hmm. the world is against you. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of noir is about sort of pursuing the American dream and wanting it, but you can't have it because there are always bad people who will ruin it for you. And a lot of times like the seedy underbelly of the city will always ruin small town, simple life and things like that. So it's a perfect example of exactly what a noir is. Um, it wouldn't personally be on my top three, but like, I believe it's the favorite noir of, of our mutual friend, Aaron Penn. Um, so I just feel like it's an absolute must see. And it's, it's a movie that like, it didn't grab me as like, I love, love it the first time I saw it, because I think with noir, I tend to prefer the ones that where the plots are a little bit more simple, like Double Indemnity, uh, They Live by Night and Detour, probably a couple of other great examples mm -hmm. of that. And this one's very, very plot heavy. It's a lot of we go to this place, we go to this place, we talk to this person, we talk to this person. But on repeat watches, it's, it's become a little bit of a comfort movie because I just love the vibe of it. You know, it's perfectly noir. Um, I love spending time with Robert Mitchum. I'll, he's one of those guys that like you can really watch in any movie. He's so charming and charismatic. And I would love to hear maybe a little bit more thoughts that you have about Robert Mitchum. If you've seen more of his stuff or not, I don't know. But anyway, I love him in this movie, him and Jane Greer together. Like, uh, so, so Patrick Bromley on the F this movie podcast, uh, he talks a lot about like, who is the movie couple that's like the most attractive movie couple in any movie. And he's said like, he recently said Paul Walker, and Jessica Alba and Into the Blue. My pick is Robert Mitchum and Jane Greer and Out of the Past. Like they are <laughs> unbelievably beautiful and sexy in this movie. Uh, this is another movie with like a lot of sexuality to it. There is a scene where like they run inside from out of the rain and fall together on the couch and the wind and the rain, the camera pans away from them onto the door and the wind and the rain blows open the door. And it's like, that's orgasms. <laughs> Dr. Noor is telling us exactly what is happening right now. Um, Those are so, door gas. <laughs> door, door gas. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Noor, for giving us door gas <laughs> out of the past. Oh, yeah, that was pretty much. I was thinking like, okay, yeah, that's that's sex. It's like they have to code everything for sex. Like, I love how <laughs> it's like a door blows open, orgasms, like a teapot falls off, I think. Or it's like <laughs> It's like that's sex. Like, you know, it's just like um, they, they always pull away from the people doing something and then something happens like you know, I like, I don't I'm an example, but like someone jumps in a pool, sex, like it's somehow everything is sex. <laughs> like without ever actually saying sex. Like it's amazing. <laughs> like it kind of, it kind of makes you work more creatively, honestly, when you can't explicitly do or say it. So you have to really think of some creative workaround. Yeah. Like, have you, have you seen the Philadelphia story? Oh man. Um, it's I always Catherine Hepburn, Cary Grant, Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. But I always mix this up. If I saw 
that or oh my god, what's the other one? Philadelphia Story and their news reporters. It all oh, takes his place. girl Friday. Yeah, that's the one. I, okay, I haven't seen Philadelphia Story yet, yet. Then so so I love Philadelphia Story, and I was just recently rewatching it. But there is a scene where Catherine Hepburn and Jimmy Stewart are drunk after a party in the backyard and talking. And I swear, it's like the director set out to be like, I'm going to make a sex scene, but I can't. <laughs> so it's just going to be these two people talking. And like, it's amazing how effective it is. Like, it's this incredibly erotically charged scene that can't actually do anything explicit, but like they're right on the cusp. So yeah, I, I feel like, I do feel like the Hayes Code created a lot of interesting creativity. And that's really a theme of this podcast that we keep coming <laughs> back to, but it's really, really relevant with 40s uh, noir for sure. Yeah, definitely. I, I was noticing that as I wrote, I was like, these movies were all very bleak and very horny. It's weird. It's like there's a and there's a, a fatalist aspect to a lot of these, especially this one. I feel like there's like what like you said, it's like I know this is big about film noir. It's like this whole thing of like you can't escape your fate. You're kind of racing toward like a dark ending no matter what. And Robert Mitchum's pretty far out of it. Like he's in the small town, things are going well, and they just pull him all the way back in. <laughs> like he's like, but he still he just cannot escape his fate. Um and Robert Mitchum is someone I really like. I need to see more of his movies. Um, I know off the top of my head, I've seen two wildly different performances. Of him. I saw him in Night of the Hunter, which he's amazing in. And I saw Holiday Affair within a few months of each other. And they couldn't be oh, yeah. more different. <laughs> um, but he's so good at like, like I mentioned Jet Li earlier, is like a good bad guy or a good uh, good guy. Uh, and I feel like Robert Mitchum is very good at being both like he can be like the scariest guy on the planet or he'd be like the most like uh friendly charming handsome man you know it's like it's just it's so it's such a skill to do both and go back and forth and uh yeah this one is good because i feel uh it's kind of in, in the middle like he's definitely not like a pure great guy but he's definitely not a evil man you know like a truly evil man but mm -hmm. um it's yeah it's a great performance from him in this one too because I can tell also he just seems so um, kind of torn on what to do, but he also seems like really beaten down. I feel like, especially near the end with, uh, I won't say that with Jane Greer, where I feel like he just is like, I mean, if he could say it, he'd be like, fuck, okay, I guess I'm stuck. Like, you know, it's like, I feel like he has this feeling of like, I am really stuck in this situation. Shit. Uh, yeah. I don't know. He, I really like him in this movie. I've liked him everything I've seen. So I just need to see more of his movies. <laughs> Yeah, his character is like, as far as like decency or morality, he's in the middle of the leading men of these three movies. Like Bogart as Philip Marlowe is the most decent guy. Fred McMurray is the biggest piece of shit. <laughs> and Robert Mitchum is in the middle. But yeah, so yeah, he is in the middle of the, of the other the other two for sure. Because he's definitely, he clearly wants to be normal and live like a nice, decent life. But like I said, he just gets pulled right back into it. So Every time he thinks he's out, they pull him back in. I, feel like <laughs> I that's thought of a that movie quote. quote from something. That is from something. Uh, <laughs> it's probably one of those pre nineteen seventy five movies, so no one cares about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as Twitter is still, I don't watch those. Yeah, you, they're you don't boring. Have a whole podcast based on that premise or anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh boy. No, no, I did think of that quote actually when um, it was like, yeah, it's like I try to get out, they pull me back in, like because they really, really drag him out and um. Yeah, now I, I do want to watch History of Violence again too because I love that movie too, and it totally this totally reminded me of that. But um, but yeah, I really liked it in the past. Like you said, it's a vibe. Like this one had the the best. Like I don't know, I'm getting into like the the mood, the vibe of it. I was really into that whole thing. Um, I really liked it. Yeah, I really was into it. All the performances are really good. Um, yeah, I really I really liked all three. So 
Good deal. Yeah. I'm, and I'm glad, you know, before this podcast, we decided we weren't going to do pairings like you always do with Anthony. I'm glad we got one double feature out of this, which is out of the past and the history of violence. <laughs> I, I actually yeah. think you could pair running scared with a noir. I don't know what it is, but if you found something that was like kind of man on the run running all over the city, like maybe running from people or trying to find right. somebody like, I'm sure that movie's out there. And if any listeners like know of a good noir to pair with running scared, I would love to know. <laughs> I would love to know that too. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I was thinking Ryan Scared's kind of like you could call it a neo noir. I feel like because it kind of has some of those elements. There has to be a noir where someone has like a like a hot gun they have to get. You know what I mean? Like a I'm gun. sure there is. Yeah. I, so I'm sure there's quite a few of those. <laughs> so um, yeah, another movie Running Scared that takes a very I think simple premise and then adds all these little like flourishes that kind of make it so much more interesting um, than it is like. Um, yeah, man, we'll have to do an episode on Running Scared. I need you back for that. And maybe I think Mike talked about wanting to do that episode too. <laughs> like, oh, that'd uh, be fun. Wait like another, I don't know, year or so or something, bring it back. Cause it, I, I would love to have a movie more and more because it's one of those movies that I just think needs more attention because I think it's just fantastic. But, um, so I, I think I kind of know, but I guess, uh, I guess we could like rank these movies, how much we like them. Um, uh, do I have to rank the three action movies with the three noirs? Uh, <laughs> you could. I was gonna tell us rank the reaction movies, but if you okay. want to mix in the noir, I don't know. That sounds really hard. I'll just I, the action movies okay. be easy though. Yeah. <laughs> so at the bottom would be at least the international cut of the protector, <laughs> then the one which is like goofy fun, and I enjoyed it enough. Uh, but running scared would be very easily at the top. And if I were to rank the noirs, I would go. I think I would honestly put out of the past at the bottom. Um, even though I love it, but I would put the big sleep number two because it's just so much fun. And double indemnity would definitely be my number one. Okay, fair enough. That's that's a good. We'll do both then. Yeah. So, um, all right. I'm glad Running Scared was like solidly number one. That's that was when I gave you all these. I'm like, that's the best of this bunch for sure. <laughs> but yeah, and I'll be very curious one day if you go back to watch the U.S. cut if you like it way more or at, at all more. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm curious too. I really think you would enjoy it more. Um, but um, okay. So for mine, I'll do the Noirs first. So. Um, and these were all very close. So it's like a razor thin margin, but like, I'd probably put big sleep number three, just, I need to watch it again. Cause the plot is <laughs> the plot kind of got in my way the first time, you know? So, um, once I get that out of the way, I'll probably enjoy it more, but it was good. Big sleep out of the past number two and double indemnity number one, um, for the action movies, I would go the one this is confusing. The one at number three, at <laughs> least <The Jet laughs> the one at number three, because, it's goofy fun. I think it's the weakest of the three protector, the U S cut specifically, <laughs> uh, at number two and running scared. Number one, like easily, uh, it's like, it's to me, it's like a five-star movie. I love that movie. Um, I think everything works honestly. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm still gonna be talking about that movie. I mean, all these, it's funny. This is a great episode for me. Cause like, I like all these movies. So this is great for me. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I will say, and like, absolutely no pressure, you know, do whatever you want with your podcast. But <laughs> if you do want to do a round two with like three more noirs and 2000s action movies, I'd be very willing because th this was a really fun exercise. Oh, man, I might need to dig deep on 2000s. I might need to go somewhere else because I feel like when I was even Googling like 2000s action movies, I feel like I know that area pretty well. I'm like, some of these, I think <laughs> I'm looking back, like may not hope for somebody in 2020, may they might work for someone in 2021. And they, some of them maybe aren't that good. So <laughs> sure. like, I don't know, I may go some other, if you could think of another genre that you feel like you're kind of like deficient in, or, you know, like nineties comedies or something, I'm just thinking random stuff like, um, Oh, I, I could finally see Tommy boy. 
I and Wayne's World, which I've also never seen. Oh my god, we, that might need to be it because <laughs> <laughs> I love. Oh, Tommy I could give Boy. you screwball comedies from like the 30s and 40s. Oh man, there you go. I think that's the way to go because there are so many 90s comedies that I love, and I again, this is I don't know if it's nostalgia or they actually hold up, but I I think Tommy Boy, I I love that's a total comfort movie and Wayne's World, both comfort movies for me through and through. I love them both. Um, I think you would like them. <laughs> I don't, um, the good thing about both of those, I think like um, they wouldn't, uh, they, they're dated, but not in a way that's like offensive, if that makes sense. <laughs> you know what sure. I mean? It's, it's not like, ooh, this day and age. Well, like um, Time Boy is like super charming. I think Chris Farley was like one of my like childhood heroes. I love Chris Farley. So um, we'll have to do that. I think we should go 90s comedies for you and old screwball comics. Because there are a few, I want to watch Bringing Up Baby which I've never oh, seen. Oh, so good. Which you've talked about many, many times. That'd yeah. be a great excuse. Um, yeah, okay. I think that's the way to go. So this nice. was a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> glad you figured that out on the air. Uh, <laughs> on the air, <laughs> like it's a radio show. Uh, <laughs> live. Live, on the air. Uh, <laughs> that's all I've been talking like for the past five days of watching these film noirs. It's like, hey there, Dame, get my coffee, see? And it's like, let's talk to my roommate. He's like, who are you? <laughs> I'm kidding. I haven't been doing that. But but I, oh God, I just saw the way they talk. It's so great. Um, this guy's a real hot potato over here. Yeah. <laughs> Andy Prevost Murray literally says that in Double Indemnity. <laughs> oh, yeah. This guy's hopping around like a grasshopper in June. I'm like, what does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know how they are in June. I know. You could make up anything, and I would think it was a real phrase in the 40s. I'm just like, yeah, okay, they said that. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, this was this was a ton of fun, man. I'm really glad we came up with this idea. And um, and yeah, this was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to doing this again sometime soon. So Definitely. I'll be very willing. But yes, yeah, so, well, I will let you go ahead and plug stuff where we wrap up here. I kind of forgot we were doing a podcast for a second. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh yeah, people need to wrap right. up and plug things. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, be my guest. Go ahead. Okay, sure. Uh, so my podcast is called The Cobwebs Podcast. It was very recently called Cobwebs, a gothic cinema podcast, but we have not eliminated horror or gothic movies from it. We've just opened it up to just talking about old movies in general. Uh, I'm about to drop an episode about classic swashbucklers. It's uh, focusing on Captain Blood, which is a little pirate movie, uh, and that is with Aaron Penn. Uh, the next episode is going to be about 1930s gangster movies. Brian Kuyper from Movies for Life is coming on to talk about some Jimmy Cagney and some Edward G. Robinson. So, so yeah, we're just diving into a whole bunch of different aspects from movies, uh, mostly pre-1970s. I've never said that because, like, if I want to talk about some 70s stuff or maybe 80s, like, I want to leave that open for myself. But it is mostly pre-1970s. So really diving into classic film on that podcast. And uh, I have a YouTube channel that's fairly new where we talk about, you know, Blu-rays, Blu-ray hauls, and like mostly old movies in general. And it is called Cobwebs, Dusting Off Classic Cinema. And um, and then, yeah, make sure you're always listening to Film Feast because this podcast rules. <laughs> well, thanks so much for plugging my podcast <laughs> on welcome. my podcast. I appreciate that. That's the first time anyone said that. That was so nice. Uh, yes. And that's because love... like lately oh. I've started plugging Film Feast with my plugs because I feel like I'm on here fairly regularly. So I'm like, yeah, check out Film Feast too. <laughs> that's good I, we, I feel like you haven't been on here in a while but no i always appreciate you uh uh plugging the podcast forever so yeah no i uh um it's very nice of you but yeah and I, I will i'll back i'll plug cobwebs again because i love that you did the rebrand because um i love that anybody like i know you could talk about all kinds of movies from all time periods and everything so i'm so glad you opened yourself up to talk about so many other things and of course you can still talk about old gothic horror or whatever it doesn't take that away you know what i mean so you just you opened yourself up so that's that's fantastic and i think uh i think people are liking it so far you did a great episode with uh our mutual friend keith rich um recently on the thin man which was great 
um which people yeah that was out. really fun keith is keith is the best he's so great <laughs> he is the best we're actually doing oh i don't know when this episode is going to come out but okay at some point either before or after this episode you've heard we will be doing me and keith are doing an episode on vinegar syndrome um, oh yes and that episode excited. is coming right before the halfway to black friday sale so uh this episode we're doing right now may or may not be out yet i don't know <laughs> like um but either way you should listen to that because we'll talk about a bunch of vinegar syndrome movies and those are all mostly wild and crazy so that should be fun <laughs> um but yeah keith keith is great i was like this guy's so nice when i met him so look i've made a new friend uh talking to him so that episode was great with you guys the thin man is a great movie i saw that for the first time a few months ago and i loved it um so yes check that episode out um the podcast is fantastic i can't say anything about cobweb so um for our stuff it's the usual i don't even know if i should even plug this stuff anymore because everyone's probably like we know where the twitter is matt but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can follow the podcast on twitter at film feast pod um you can follow me on twitter at matt 87 and you can follow me and the podcast on instagram which is film feast all one word um and that is it for this time guys thank you guys so much for listening daniel thank you for being here and we will talk to you next time